Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. this interlude series with hell, and I know that that's bizarre. Someone said to me, how can you end on hell? And I said, well, last week was communion, and I just couldn't do hell and communion on the same day. (laughs) So we did heaven last week, and today we'll do hell. And it's fitting and proper that we do it that way, because the truth is that hell is not that big a deal in Scripture. It's not. It's not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. And it's mentioned just over a dozen times in the New Testament. And of that, seven of them are in the Gospel accounts. And of the seven, four are in the Gospel account of Matthew. And all of the places in the New Testament where that word hell appears were written at least two, if not more, decades after Jesus ascended. So the concept of hell has been evolving in Christianity. It's not something that has a strong foundation in Scripture. Instead, Scripture chooses to focus quite dramatically on heaven. How much more dramatically? Over 600 times is heaven mentioned in the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. And yet hell is mentioned much less. And this is a tragedy because in the world outside of the church, most people associate the church with hell. Not in that way. In a different way. In the fact that they think that if you're not in the church, then you must be going to hell. And think about how many times you hear people use that word in a painful, derogatory, and vicious fashion. Christians should not be using hell as a giant weapon to bludgeon other people. We wouldn't like that weapon used against us. And so Jesus, who came to tell us that he did not come to condemn, instead came to save. So why is it that we who bear the name of Jesus Christ constantly run into others bearing that same name who say things like, you're going to burn in hell. And people burn in hell for that. Jesus is very quick to tell all of the apostles and all of those who would call themselves disciples afterward that The standard by which you condemn or forgive is the standard to which I will hold you. So if we want to spend all of our time telling people that they're going to go to hell for that, then we have to be prepared for God on Judgment Day to turn around and say, you know, you seem to be really dialed into telling people what they're doing is going to send them to hell. Should I judge you the same way? Instead, we should focus on the message that Jesus Christ gives us. So where does hell come from? Where is this concept? It's actually built upon mostly by literature. I love to listen to people tell me about hell. Tell me what you think hell is. And when they tell me, I'll have to stop them and go, wait a second, have you read Dante? And they go, no. And I'm like, well, you should, because you're pretty much citing him word for word. A lot of how we understand hell, and I'm talking about depictions, the the visualization, there's like nine circles, that's all Dante. That's all 15th century Christendom. 
And Dante did what plenty of people do. They took a concept and then fleshed it out and gave it flourishes of all kinds of flamboyant and flamey ways and pain and destruction, because and, we love to read about that. And so Dante really changed the way people thought about hell. And when people tell me about hell, they're telling me about Dante, whether they realize it or not. Dante, though, took a small piece of text, rather obscure, from Jeremiah, and really built on it. And the text comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 30 says this, For the people of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house that is called by my name, defiling it. And they go on building the high place to Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. This text is recounting for us that the people of Israel had taken on a horrific practice that others in the area were practicing. They were worshiping a pagan god named Baal, by offering their children as burnt sacrifices in fire. And it is so abhorrent to God that God sends the prophet Jeremiah to decry it, to tell the people that we should not be doing this. This is not what God wants. God has never asked that we light God's children on fire. God even says here, not only are you defiling my home by practicing this, but I never told you to do it. And it would never even enter into my mind to do such a thing, to tell you to do it. So stop burning your children. If God goes to such extremes to tell Israel to stop burning God's children, why would God want to burn God's children? Instead, it gets kind of twisted and misinterpreted over time. In fact, my scripture is not in Hebrew. But if you were to read it in Hebrew, the valley of the son of Hinnom is actually translated closer to Gahanan, Gehenna. Gehenna often gets mistranslated as hell. It was an actual place in the Middle East where people built a high place and burnt children. And God said, stop it. It is evil and it is wrong. And so we have that being kind of tossed around and twisted and, and molded about in the history. And then all of a sudden people realized fear is a great motivator. I employ it in my household, I admit. Fear is a great motivator. However, however, I don't want to serve in a church of Jesus Christ where we use fear to get people to be in love with Jesus. I don't believe that that's right. I don't believe that Jesus wants people to turn their hearts to them because they truly fear consequences rather than wanting to be in relationship with Jesus. The motivation is important. And for years, for decades, for generations, we may even be approaching a millennium now, the church worldwide has done this practice has dangled hell as a possible consequence to urge people to convert to Christianity. And it's wrong. It is wrong. Neither the Bible nor Jesus placed the emphasis on hell. The emphasis unequivocally, time and time again, is that God made us and loves us. And that's why God wants us in heaven with God. Not because God relishes the opportunity to torture some of us for all eternity, 
but instead that we would turn from a self-centeredness to a Christ-centric way of life. And if we use hell to inspire fear or to motivate someone, then we are not following the example set forth in Scripture by the prophets. We are not following the example that Jesus Christ even used. Because instead, we're more focused on where our final destination is and not who we are with. And that is the emphasis over and over again that Jesus has. Come to me. Come to me and I am your refuge. I am your strength. I am your salvation. I am your God. Not do it or else. And so as Christians, we have to learn to stop saying certain things. No Christian should be saying to someone, go to hell. None of us should be saying that. None of us should be declaring that you'll burn in hell for such and such or this or that. None of us should be creating even more obstacles for people to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not called to that. The emphasis of Scripture is clearly grace, mercy, and love. In fact, Israel had it so backwards when they were offering their children. They didn't understand that it wasn't the sacrifice. It was the relationship that God yearned for. That by bringing the sacrifice into the house of God, whether it was the mobile tabernacle or the permanent temple, that the people were being asked to come into the presence of God, to enter into prayerful communion, and then to be reconciled. Not to bring the most large flamboyant offering place it upon an altar and incinerate it. Instead, they were called to make sure that they paid attention to and were attuned toward walking upright with their Lord. And hell comes in as a future reality. Scripture does not say that hell exists right now. If we follow the references in the New Testament, it's a future reality. It says that when heaven comes to earth and Christ ascends on the throne and all of creation is resurrected, that those who are judged righteousness because of their faith will enter into the kingdom to come. Hell is whatever is not entered in. Now, does that involve burning in circles? I have no idea. And quite frankly, I don't want any of us to ever find out. Instead, we have a mandate. When we as Christians grow in our faith enough to start looking toward that day and start thinking about what might happen when we are resurrected and standing before the risen Christ, we shouldn't be thinking so selfishly as in, I hope we get in. But instead, what can we do to ensure that the maximum number of people enter into the kingdom to come and are with God for all time? That's the turn that Christianity needs to make. Not instilling fear, but inspiring relationship. And if we are willing to be invested in that, then that's what ministry is. Because the church over time has taken the concept of our mission and has made it one that is almost militaristic. We have a mission because in Matthew 28, Jesus stood on top of the mountain before he ascended as depicted in this window in front of me and said to the apostles, go forth and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have taught you until the end of days. And so over time, people took that to mean, all right, 
We've got to make more, and that means numbers and rubrics and statistics. And we have to baptize them in a very strict formula because if we don't, then it's wrong and we can't be wrong. And then we must teach them, which means that we will lock them away in classrooms for hours on Sundays. Instead, Sunday school. Instead, what Jesus was saying is, in order for someone to come to a baptism, in order for someone to choose to be in relationship, that's what a disciple is, someone who is in deep, profound relationship with Jesus Christ, in order for that to happen, in order for them to learn what Jesus was saying, they have to be in relationship. They have to be in union with you. You can't just drop pamphlets from an airplane and expect people to understand who Jesus is. You can't just give someone a Bible and say, all right, figure it out. We don't believe this. We don't live this. If I could just give you a Bible, then you all would come in for an hour and sit here and read, and I'd go polish my shoes. That's not what happens. Instead, from the very beginning, people had to explain it. People who were tasked as this part of their service for the, the church of Jesus Christ, that this is what they do, that they explain it, they open it, they urge, they challenge. And there are those who take that and they discover how to use that in their missions, in their ministries, in their lives, in their homes, in their communities, in their jobs, in their schools. That's what the work of the gospel is. It is greater than numbers. It is about relationships. You can get a whole bunch of people in a room that is not creating converts to Jesus Christ. You can feed a whole bunch of people, and we should. But what really starts to change people is the encounter between those who are serving and those who are being served. And that's the relationship. And our job, if we are truly committed to serving Jesus Christ, is to say, we want to do everything in our power to guide, to guard, to encourage, to walk with people all the way to the gates of the kingdom to come so that they don't have the opportunity to leave the grace of God. And our role in that is as individual as we are. We are not all called to the same thing, but we are all called to the same work. We are called to be in relationship with others, to show people Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, saying you want to go to heaven, to the kingdom to come, is to say and to declare, I want to be with God for all time. Because that's what it is. Worship with God for all time. Now, inevitably, the question comes up, do good people go to heaven? And that's a whole other sermon. But I will say this. Consider what we are shown in scripture and in prophecy and by Jesus' words himself of what heaven is. It is unending worship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in perfect communion for all time. And so when I explain this to people, I usually say, if you don't like the birthday boy, do you want to go to the party? Do you want an invitation? Do you want to watch somebody you don't like open presents that you had to buy? Do you want to eat cake with them? And for the most part, the answer is no. And that's an honest answer. So our job is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and show them how amazing he is so that they will want to be with Jesus. They will realize that when everybody else lets them down, Christ is with them. When everyone else turns their back and says hurtful things, 
when they feel abandoned and alone, when they feel unworthy, Jesus is with them and for them. Our job is to take hell as a motivator for us to love more, to forgive with greater ease, unending grace and forgiveness. That is the use of hell. If you spend all of your time talking about hell, and you're not spending your time talking about Jesus, then I think we've wandered off the path. My job is to shepherd God's flock, and it's not to shepherd you to hell. It is to shepherd you to do the work that we all may enter into the kingdom. Unfortunately, I know because Jesus says it, that there will be someone, at least one, who will decide, even when they encounter Christ risen and resurrected on the throne that day of the resurrection, that they don't want any part of this. And I mourn that to the very depth of my being, that someone would reject the kind of radical love and grace that makes it possible for me to get up every day. And so our work begins when you realize how much you would be missing if you were not in the kingdom to come, that is your motivation to ensure that you love that much more fervently, that you forgive and you help others with that much more passion, that we use it to say, we will practice radical hospitality so that people will understand and get a taste, a glimpse of heaven here and in our lives and in whatever sphere of influence we have been gifted to have. Because our work is vital. At the end of the day, at the end of all days, the question will be, do you want to be with Jesus Christ? And our God, who has been infinitely patient and loving, is not about to force anyone into that party. But we can do all in our power now to open space and to plant seeds so that when the question is called, others can say, you know, I think I may. I think that might be a place for me. So the work of the church is crucial. It's not just about coming here and listening to incredible music or hearing an inspired word. It's about remembering who we are at the very depth and core of our being. Christ has laid the foundation, and we are building the bridge to help people overcome their doubts, their negative experiences, their own sinfulness, overcome our sinfulness in the church. So that when the gates are opened, as many people as possible will be entering in. And if we are faithful to that call, then we have nothing to worry about. I told the children twice today that they do not have to fear. God is for us. There is nothing on heaven or on earth or in hell or any other place you can imagine that can stand against God. And if God is for us, then we shall not fear. And yet we live in a world where people are constantly afraid. They will look to us in their moments of fear and they will want to see, are we sure? Are we steadfast? Are we convinced? If you fear going to hell, don't. God has done everything, everything 
to ensure that you will not go if you don't want to. Whatever it is, whatever kind of separation or pain or punishment or destruction or whatever it is, if you don't want to go, your belief in Jesus Christ, your faithfulness to trying to be in right relationship is more than enough. And that should be our message to people. Not you'll burn in hell for that. But you've got to come see how amazing Jesus is. You've got to see what's in store for us in the kingdom to come. May we reorient how we think about the afterlife so that we can reorient our lives here and now. So that we are not obstacles and barriers and gatekeepers, but we are those who make wide the paths and hold the door so that others may come in. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.